Dr. Finney, is time travel possible? You know, it made me tear up in all the same places, and uh, it made me long for my wife. Hi, everybody. I'm John Raby. Welcome back to the only podcast about somewhere in time called Callback Yesterday. I'm celebrating the 40th anniversary of this unique movie, which I saw filmed on Mackinac Island 41 summers ago, by digging into its themes with long conversations with people who are smarter than I am. This episode is less sexy than episode one. That was the teaser, and I wanted to give you a taste of everything you'll be getting over all the episodes. So we had voiceover by George Takei, gratuitous nudity, and my amazing audio production. But it also had an appalling lack of in-depth conversation about the main themes of Somewhere in Time. Love, loss, longing, Mackinac Island, and time travel. My guest this time is Tim Cogshell, an L.A. film critic, documentarian, journalist, friend, Air Force veteran, and widower. Before I asked him onto the show, I thought Tim had talked out a lot of this stuff already, but I'm starting to think something special happened during this podcast. You be the judge. Tim Cogshell, welcome to Call Back Yesterday. And that is an absolutely fabulous name. I just love the name of your show. Thank you. It comes from Richard II. Uh, the line is, oh, call back yesterday, bid time return. And then uh, I think it's Earl Salisbury says, and you shall have 10,000 fighting men. But we thought you were dead, so there's no fighting men. They went off and you're screwed, Richard II. Sorry, no fighters. <laughs> it goes down but, that way sometimes in yeah. Shakespeare. It just does. Uh, but bid time return was the original name of Richard Matheson's book and the original name of Somewhere in Time. But BidTimeReturn.com was not available. <laughs> However, CallBackYesterday.com was available, so that's it. And it really is funny, though, because that's, that's really a terrible name for a podcast, BidTimeReturn. But CallBackYesterday is a really great name for a podcast. Yeah, Richard Matheson. Most people don't know that it's somewhere in time. You know, aficionados like ourselves know, but they wouldn't think of that as a, a Richard a Matheson sort of screenplay. But if you look at it closely, it is in a whole bunch of different ways. What do you mean? Well, for one thing, it's about enduring love. A story of two people in love. Two people out of time. Two people whose passion bridges history. Richard Matheson wrote about that a lot, actually. Probably because he was, he was in an enduring love. He was married to the same woman until he died. So I think that it was a, a subject at the top of his mind because he experienced it. You write what you know. Other reasons? Well, he wrote about real people in real situations. You know, as much as we think of him as a science fiction writer, all that Twilight Zone and, and all that kind of stuff, if you look at all of that stuff, uh, there's really nothing particularly fantastical in any of it. There's, there are no monsters, really, or anything like that. This is time travel. And because he was actually writing about real people and the, and the, and the things that actual real people go through, he came back to notions of loss and love and sorrow and, and all of those sort of real human emotions because he, he wasn't depending on you know, a monster to come out of the wings. What do you think of Somewhere in Time, the movie? I always liked the movie. Now, I, I romanticized this movie ridiculously, and it came into my life before I became a professional film critic, too. So the movie is 1980. My wife and I saw the movie for the first time in 1981. We got married in 1981, July 25th, 1981. And she, I was in the Air Force, and she, she, she moved with me uh, to this Air Force base where, where I was living, and we got cable television for the first time. 
uh, like like you know nascent HBO or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and and back then they would run movies over and over and over again. So so you know they they, they probably had like a, you know a, a hundred title library. So we saw Tuck Everlasting like fifty times, and somewhere in time and. Even the first time we saw it, we, we loved it because we looked at it and I think we saw ourselves in it. Just married and bananas in love and passionate about each other the way uh, they are in the film. So that colored the, the, what I felt and thought about this movie my entire life. Watched it again recently because, you know, I knew I was going to be talking to you. Thank you. And it, you know, it made me tear up in all the same places and uh, it made me long for my wife, uh, who I lost in 2013 to cancer. And I, you, you know, I don't, I don't know if I've ever sent you a picture for my wife, but as I, as I looked at that movie, I kept thinking to myself how much my wife looked just like Jane Seymour huh. uh, in, in 1979, uh, only black. But otherwise, all the same, sort of same features. And, uh, and I didn't look at anything like uh, six-foot Christopher Reeve. Tim, <laughs> Tim, we're, we're basically like on the radio. This is an audio podcast. <laughs> Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen... I'm looking at, at, at the, <laughs> the black version of Christopher Reeve. Oh, but if that were true. Hi, I'm Bridget Morrow, and I'm one of the producers of North Hollywood Me. Just for the record, Tim is a perfectly good-looking man, but Bridget was awesome. I'd never met her, but he sent me a YouTube link to this short film that he made. The idea in it is that Bridget is searching their neighborhood for the elusive North Hollywood man, but really, he wrote me, it's just me following my wife around with a camera like I did for 45 years. First he told me he wanted to make a film about uh, black strippers in the hood. You know, I like black strippers and we don't go to the hood nearly enough. But all he ended up doing was spending money on lap dances and freaking out all the strippers with the camera. So. And then he got the idea that he wanted to make a documentary on the black porn industry. I decided that we should make a film about somebody I like to call the North Hollywood man. Bridget is a natural on camera. She never looks at it, but she plays to it the whole time. She knows how good she looks when she's driving, her left leg casually up on the car seat, or when she's just telling us where North Hollywood man isn't. You can also tell that she trusts and loves Tim. Uh, there, there are more pictures of my, I was a photographer for a long time, and my favorite subject was my wife. But my wife was also a model for a long time. She was a model when we were, when we were little kids, JCPenney and Woolworths and, and all that kind of stuff. So she would let me take pictures of her uh, all the time. And it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing that I did. I have gigantic photographs of my wife all over my apartment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can, you can call back yesterday anytime you want. Exactly. I, I, I literally cannot look in any direction. And this is on purpose. This is not by happenstance. And, and, and people who come to my apartment, uh, you know, they see this and make note of it. But I don't want there to be a place that I can look in my apartment and not see my wife. There was, there was not a space in my life from the time that I was six and she was five when I could not see her. I fell in love instantaneously, and she ignored me wholly and completely <laughs> until, until I was a junior and she was a sophomore. Yeah, I mean, you, you, we were in all kinds of stuff together, but you know, I was always trying to be her boyfriend, and she was get away from me. But when I when I became a junior, I, that gave me some sort of clout or something. I don't know. I, <laughs> plus, I had a car. Nobody else had a car. <laughs> Nobody else had a car. I think it's really beautiful the way you talk about your wife. You you speak of her in the present tense much of the time, and that's actually the when I when you first mentioned her, 
this is five years ago or whenever, when I was still doing my off-ramp show, and you mentioned your wife and you were talking about her, and I don't think I found out till the next conversation that she had actually passed away, because you talk about her in the present tense. I do, you know, and, and people have, have mentioned that to me, um, and I don't know that I knew that I did that um, specifically, but I do know that I, that I definitely think of her that way all the time. I don't, I don't think of her as being uh, not in my life. Um, any more than I, I, than I ever did. Like, as I was saying, you know, she's always been a fixture in my life. And, and we did have this sort of thing, uh, she and I. My wife is a Buddhist. Uh, I'm not particularly religious uh, at all. I'm not, I'm, not really, I'm not remotely religious at all. I don't know why I said that. I'm not, hmm. I'm not, I'm not, Maybe not, there's not something there. Religious. And I believe in quantum physics, you know. And in this very sort of odd way, her Buddhism and my belief in, in uh, the science of the universe sort of overlaid with each other. There's this idea in quantum thermodynamics, the second law of thermodynamics. Nothing can be, energy cannot be destroyed. It can only be changed. And in a certain sort of way, in, in her Buddhist, Buddhist interpretation of that, it meant that nothing dies, which is a sort of way that I always thought about it too. Nothing dies. Uh, it just sort of changes and becomes something else. And if you want to think about it like that, I, I, I don't consider that she has died at all. I consider that she has going on her trek uh, to become the other thing. It really fits in with that quotation I love from Paul Auster, which is one of the guiding forces of this podcast, which is, reach a certain moment in your life and you discover that your days are spent more with the dead than with the living. That's exactly the sort of idea. I mean, uh, we talked, I, I, you know, I talked to you about Bridget. I, 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 I consider, I think about my dad the same way. My dad, quote unquote, died back in 2000. But I, when I'm talking about my dad, I talk about my dad in the present tense because I think about my dad all the time. So yeah, my wife is eternally present with me. And if you look at the end, when you think about the end of somewhere in time, that moment when he drifts into the light and, and she's there and he walks to her and they hold hands, and the film just sort of dissolves from that, that sort of permanent, forever together sort of notion. Uh, and I love that. And I know my wife loved that. And that's sort of the way I think about it. My parents are gone. They died 25 plus years ago. All their friends are gone, almost. And, and I'm an atheist. Hey, brother. But I have reserved a, like a, a, a space in heaven where they're all together having cocktails. <laughs> And maybe my dog Kara is there too, and my dog Connor is there too. And I, I make that exception in my atheism. Do you, do you wish, is there a part of you that like, wishes you could walk hand in hand with your wife again for real in a, like a, you know, the heaven type ending of somewhere in time? Well, you know, with the notion of the sort of religious elements, not so right. much. But there's this sort of idea that's inside that movie where when he's talking to the professor that he goes back to see his old philosophy professor, and his, his philosophy professor says, you know, it's mostly here, and he points to his head. And I think that's the notion where I live with that. If I decide it's so, then why isn't it so? Yeah. Uh, I did an interview once with Alan First, who's the, the writer of the, of the uh, uh, spy thrillers set in the 1930s and early 40s, and, and uh, he was talking about all this, you know, all, all, he, he sets these thrillers uh, in... Paris and Romania and all these, you know, romantic places, Budapest and all this. And there's a particular brasserie that he writes about in Paris. And I, so I said, you know, do, do you wish, and they, he rides the metro and he eats at the, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's all very romantic and evocative. And I said, do you wish you could time travel? And he says, I already do. Ah, 
that idea that you know if you can if you can sort of imagine it, and if you can imagine it deeply enough, then then yeah, it sort of exists in a certain sort of way. Is it mathematical? Probably not. But again, if we're talking about the yeah. human mind, these ideas, then I, t- as far as I'm concerned, they're completely substantial. When I close my eyes and I think of my wife from moment that we were together or, uh, or, or when I'm sometimes in the car and something strikes me as funny uh, and, I, and I voice out loud of what I think about it uh, to her, uh, those moments all register inside my mind as real today as it would have been in 1986 when we were in the car riding around someplace. Do you have a friend that you only see once every couple of years? Yeah, my buddy Gene, who knew my wife. Every 10 years or so, uh, we bumble into each other. So in those 10 years, did it matter whether he was alive or dead? You saw him at the end of 10 years. He could have been dead for 10 years and come back. It's a, re- it's a really weird distinction that we make because, you know, my parents have been gone for 25 years. But what if it was, what if they weren't and I just saw them at the end of the 25 years? It's a very, I think we put a very odd kind of precondition on that whole notion. Do you get, am, I, am I making any sense? Absolutely. So, for instance, if for the last 25 years you had been walking around uh, thinking of your parents as present, right. but over there, you know, what, what, what difference would that have made, uh, you know, in your existence over that period of time? Right. Or I didn't know that they had died. Yeah. So still they're, they're alive inside of me, and it, it doesn't change the way I act one iota. I just think we have, we have very odd rules about that <laughs> That kind of thing. Well, you know, it, it, it's, it's really funny because, you know, um, a couple of years ago, uh, that movie Coco came out. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that I love deeply about that movie Coco is the way it, 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 it presented the sort of Latin American, Mexican-American notion of death and the dead. And I love the way they hold on to those who are gone and their family, whole and complete, shrines and everything. Yeah. I have little shrines to my wife all over the house. I, I love the notion that it is our responsibility to hold on to them, that that's what's keeping them alive in the quote-unquote afterlife, but here with us too. Uh, and very often, if you notice in that movie, um, they, they, you know, the folks would talk about you know, uh, their, their gone relatives in the present tense. They would do it all the time. Yeah. I used to love the way, the way uh, Fritz Sanford, Red Fox on, on Sanford and Son, uh, every, every now and again he'd grab his heart and he'd start screaming, I'm coming. <laughs> 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 and... <laughs> he's just, you know, he's, he'd walk around talking to Elizabeth all day. Right. And, and, I, and all of that resonates with me. So I, I love that in that movie, Coco. And I love that, that that movie was so big and, you know, the sort of, you know, the rest, it wasn't just a Latin movie. So that, that, I'm hoping that those ideas sort of drifted into the Western culture a little bit. You know, in the black community, uh, the, the dead are dead hmm. more often than not. The dead are dead. You have your big, beautiful wake, and you have those big, wonderful funerals that we have, even those, even those um, down south in New Orleans, you know, those first lines and all that kind of stuff. We do all of that. But once they go in the ground, very often we don't think about them very much anymore. Mm-hmm. Grandma comes up in conversation whenever she happens to come up in conversation. And I, I'm not really sure why, why that happened in, in, in the black community. Maybe it was because you never knew who was going to survive. And you didn't want to be holding on to all of these spirits forever. You, 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 before long, that Paul Oster thing b- would become true. Yeah. Really true. Like when you're, when you're uh, 10. You're just walking around with all these spirits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, cause, and uh, a lot of my friends say things to me like, oh, well, you know, you'll get over, you'll do this, you'll move on. The, you, the, the you'll move on. Aside from thinking to myself, you absolutely did not know my wife. 
you definitely don't understand the, the way we lived in the world. We're not mover honors, you know. We didn't say that till death do us part in our wedding vows ah. uh, at, at all. We didn't say that stuff at all. Yeah, very, very, very present. I, 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 and I like that about that movie, Somewhere in Time. They're going to be together forever. They, they are right now in my mind. Did he time travel in the movie? Uh, again, I come back to that thing uh, within the mind. Um, uh, that, that his philosophy professor said. Now, did he, did he time travel in the movie? No, you can't time travel. Mr. Einstein figured that one out for us. Um, How did his name um, get in the book? Because um, uh, you can't go fast in the screen. <laughs> you can't, his, his, you you're can't my friend, but you're anyway, wrong. I'm, 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 I'm a, his name was in the book. I'm, I'm a dilettante. I'm a complete dilettante of physics, uh, but you know, I know just enough to get myself in trouble. So, 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 you know, and, and, and this is what I love about that. This is what the time travel amounts to in that film. He, he, he falls asleep and the lighting changes on his mm -hmm. face. He's time traveled. That's all, that's all that happens in the film. The lighting changes and he wakes up and he's in 1912. Um, and that's about as deep as it goes. So far as it tries to make, and, and, I, and I like that about the movie. No one tries to do, uh, do that thing where they explain. You, you know, they, at the end of being John Malkovich, I love, uh, I love I'm a, Charlie Kaufman. Love me some Charlie Kaufman, right? He's only made one movie that ever pissed me off. Done one thing in one movie that ever pissed me off. And I, I mean, connect all of the wacky Charlie. There's a Charlie Kaufman movie on uh, uh, Netflix right now. Um, but at the end of being John Malkovich, he explains it attempts to explain. Do you remember the thing with the book with Orson Bean? And he, they, they, they open it up and they show all the stuff and he tries to explain it and how we end up in the head. And, I, and I'm like, and I, I remember thinking to myself, don't do that. <laughs> this is all silly poo. If you try to explain it, you know, just, just let it go, Holmes. I'm down. We're good. The movie's good. Everything's fine. I've had a fabulous time. If you try to explain it, you're going to ruin it. Uh, and, and he's never done that again, by the way. Silly poo? Silly poo. It's all silly poo. <laughs> you know, uh, unless you just let it go. His name is in the book, in the register. Yeah. So he time-traveled. That's all it takes for me to just accept that it happens in the movie he time... Well, because you could argue, you could argue it's all a dream in the movie, or you could argue that he really did time-travel in the movie, and I think the name in the book tells us that he time-traveled in the movie. Yeah, he, he's doing a lot of projecting in that movie, Richard, the character, Christopher Reeve's character. He's, and and he's, he's, he's sort of willing things to happen in his mind, but that's what it's all about, isn't it? Uh, you know, there are these moments where it looks like it might not happen, and he just sort of wills it to happen. Um, but, you know, I don't know, um, did he actually time travel in the movie? Hi, everybody. John Raby back with you on Call Back Yesterday. I am not done grilling Tim Cockshell about whether or not Christopher Reeve really did time travel in Somewhere in Time. But I did want to let you know what's coming up on the next episode of Call Back Yesterday, and that is an in-depth conversation with the director, Jeno Zvark. And one of the things I ask him about is the story that Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour had an affair while they were making the movie. I had a very serious talk with Jane. I said, Jane, this is going to get in the way. She says, what are you talking about? I said, you and, and, and Chris having an affair. Oh, we're not having an affair. Nobody knows about it. I said, what do you mean nobody knows? 
We're on location. This is a film crew. Everybody knows everything. I know at what time you get out of this room this morning. So that's coming up on the next episode of Call Back Yesterday. We go deep with Geno Zvark. Now let's get back to me arguing with Tim Cogshell about time travel. What if Genot told you he time-traveled in the movie, and he's the one who made the movie? Then do you have to accept it? The person to who I would actually depend on in terms of, he made the movie, but again, adapted from that Richard so Matheson Mathis. book, right? So I think I would have to depend on him. Now, Matheson would say, no, there's no such thing as time travel, because uh, he was this ridiculously practical person. That's what he would say, no. Uh, I, I, it's just, I just made it up. Uh, and it's all made up. It doesn't. It, it's irrelevant. What's relevant with the human Good. emotions? That uh, that's what he would say, um, uh, because he's just that sort of practical. He's like the reverse of H.P. Lovecraft, uh, Matheson, uh, and he would he would he would tell you, no, it's just all made up, man. What are you talking about? That's what he would say. Is it wrong for me to say that he they time travel in the movie? In other words, it's my this is my interpretation of the movie. Do I get to have my interpretation separate from yours? Oh, absolutely. And this, this would be true, you know, just over and over and over again, no matter what we're actually talking about here. And, 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 and Richard Matheson would probably be okay with that, too. Um, I, I, I don't think he would force you into his sort of interpretation of these things. So, you know, did he, so did he time travel in the movie for you? Absolutely. He can have time travel in the movie for you. For me, it was, it, it was, it was a mind sort of thing. And, 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 but, I, but, I, but I call it equivalent. Uh, I, I don't want to distinguish between the two. The, his physical body moved from here to there. If you can get your mind to go there deeply and sincerely enough, I just think it's the same damn thing. You know that I grew up in Upper Michigan, and I was there when they filmed the movie. You, yeah, yes, you told me this. Okay, and, and, so that and, happened. Which I find fascinating. So, so, so that's how you first came to the film in the first place. I mean, exactly. you were literally there when they were in it. What is this, 1978, 1979? I was there. I was there. Um, <laughs> yeah, 1979. It was a golden summer. It was really cool. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever seen a Hollywood, a Hollywood production. If you, you know, you've been on movie sets and watched how stuff happens, and often it's not like really happy. Mm. This, was a, this was a happy shoot. Everybody says this was a really happy shoot. Main Street, September 22nd, about 11.30. And Mackinac, have you been, you're from the Midwest, Mac, uh, have, you, have you been to Mackinac? I have not been to Mackinac. It sounds like an interesting place. I know that there are no vehicles. Right, no cars and only bicycles. Uh. And when Chris wakes up, you hear a clip-clop, 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 clip-clop. That's how we know that he's traveled back in time. Back in time, that you can hear he, it, yeah. He, um, Jeannot resisted any sort of special effects, like the lightning bolts that carved the commandments in the Ten Commandments. That He was like, no, we're not, we're not doing that. That's Elise McKenna, starred in a play in the hotel theater. When was this play done? 1912. Bill Irwin is the only person in the movie that I got to know some, he was like only, he was a spring chicken of like 60 or something when he made the movie. And he came, he, he made friends with my mom and dad, and he came and stayed at our house in Sault Ste. Marie for a night or two with his wife. That's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, 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 actually. When, when, you, when you were watching the movie being, being made, uh, how old were you and what, and what did you think about it? Did you care anything about the subject of the movie or was it just the Hollywood stuff? I just thought it was all kind of fascinating the way they changed things in Grand Hotel. I was 12. Well, how old was I? It was 1979. I was born in 66. I was 13. My dad worked for Grand Hotel, the big hotel that they filmed at, which was the stand-in for the Hotel Dell, basically. And they changed everything overnight. They would, they would put up all the, 
you know, the brown paint on the pillars to make it look like old times and lay down rugs on the floors. And then it would be gone the next day. Mm. That, that kind of stuff was really fascinating. And it was fun to, to glimpse Christopher Reeve or to glimpse Jane Seymour. I, somewhere, and I can't find it, there's a photo of me uh, sitting at Christopher Plummer's feet uh, with a bunch of other kids, I think. I don't know where that photo is and I can't find it. But we went to see him do that one-man play at, like, the Mark Taper a few years ago. And I realized then that I was, at that time, I think I was 50, I was the age that he was when he made Somewhere in Time, and I thought he was so ancient when he, <laughs> when he made Somewhere in Time. Uh, it's funny the way that happens, too. Uh, yeah, you seem to catch up with all the old people, that you, all the people that you uh, used to think were yeah. old. Yeah, yeah. So, so when, did the movie, when did the movie come to matter to you as, 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 as a movie in terms of its subject matter and, and what it was actually about? You said you thought it was, you know, kind of malarkey. I did, and I did for a long time. I think it's been over the last year or two, as I've started to think about the anniversary, that the movie has started helping me to process my parents' passing. So I went a long time without really liking it. And then I saw it again, and with new eyes or with, with old eyes, um, and then it started making more sense. Mm. It, then it really affected me. Then I cried. Then I believed in all the, you know, in all the emotions in the movie. Um, and then I also I started thinking about this time travel thing, you know, because my parents are buried on Mackinac Island in a grave that says life is a grave matter <laughs> for real. <laughs> that's, that, that's a very particular sense of humor. I love that. Yeah. So I think I subconsciously uh, must have figured out that I needed to work this stuff out with the movie. Just, I don't know. It, it, mm. I, I'm very German in a lot of ways, and I will realize a week later, oh, you had an emotion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what this is about. Uh, it wasn't mm. until I had done, frankly, until like two weeks ago when I had done the teaser for the podcast, my husband Julian listened to the first or second draft, and he's like, John, there's no through line here. There's no explaining why you're, why you're doing this podcast. He's like, so he's like, why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? I'm like, I guess I'm... I think it's helping me process my parents' death. That's it. Whoa. So I'd been doing the, I'd been doing the thing. I've been doing this since last October or, or earlier, like setting up the trip to Mackinac to tape stuff and did all this thing, all this stuff. So I've been doing it like a year and I finally realized what the hell I'm doing, what the reason is for this. Did, 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 it, did it change anything about the way uh, you saw the project, decided to do the project? I think for me, it gives it more heart. We'll have to see whether it works as a podcast, whether, whether listeners like to hear me processing my parents' death. I'm just assuming since everybody grieves and everybody goes through all this stuff, it's going to help some people. And some people like to hear people talking honestly about loss and memory and nostalgia and all that stuff. But we'll have to see. No, I will. I, I would listen. Obviously, it's helping me. Uh, um, and, and 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 frankly, at at the moment, I think it might. I think I think I might have stumbled into a bit of therapy of my own, uh, accidentally by 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 being a guest uh, on this podcast. This is not the kind of stuff that I generally speaking just talk about for forty five minutes. You know, uh, you, you uh, don't. Uh, the, no, not really. Oh. Um, um, it's it's. It, I, you know, I went to therapy for a little while. I did, I'm a vet. I'm a veteran, so so you know the VA has all these sort of great therapy situations. So. And, but I don't know. It was it was it was one of those things of where the ideas uh, that therapists had about grief and grieving right. didn't comport with the way I actually felt, and uh, I, I just came to feel like you know, I think I'll just do me. 
I think I'll just do me. And once I started doing me, you know, five or six years ago, you know, a couple of years after my wife had passed away, then the, everything got better. And, it, and doing me came around to basically meaning I'm just going to, I'm, I'm not going to do this whole thing of where I, where I have to move on. I'm just not going to do it. It doesn't work for me. Um, and, um, you know, I, I enjoy myself better with, with her being extremely present all the time. Huh. And one might say that Christopher Reeve's character, Richard Collier, uh, you know, he just he 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 could not conceive of an existence without her. So maybe um, uh, in his mind, once again, um, he just simply decides to go to where she is. Uh, this podcast is like is a shrine. <laughs> well, We're gathered in the shrine. Uh, it's like Coco all over again. I had I love it. I had to miss my parents' memorial service. I was a kid. I just didn't have money to travel all the way back, I would have to go, have gone from Philadelphia to Mackinac Island. Uh, I'd had a good long visit with my father like the month and a half before he died. We didn't know he was dying then. Mm. And I had already said goodbye to my mom in the hospital. So when they were eventually buried together on Mackinac Island, I, I wasn't able to be there. I just couldn't do it. But on Saturday, I'm going to be talking with a couple people who were there. And if the weather cooperates and their cell phones cooperate, we're going to tape the interview at their grave. Oh, that they're going to be they're going to be standing there. That's a, uh, and they can tell me what the service was like. Have you have you have you have you never been there? Have you been there? I mean, oh have, yeah, you, yeah. I was like there. Like yeah, I've been there now like seven or eight times since they passed. Most recently in October of uh, last year. But back then, uh, when uh, twenty five years ago, uh, and you couldn't and you couldn't do that. What? How did you feel about it at the time? I mean, at, at the time, because you would have been what in your early twenties. I felt really guilty. Yeah, I felt guilty. I had um, because everybody else was going, and I just didn't have the I just didn't have the money to do it. I just couldn't take the time off and put more on the credit cards and all that stuff. Now I would just do it because I have the I have the dough, but I just we just didn't have the dough back then. So I felt guilty, and I felt like a, a little bit like a bad son. But I have a reasonably thick skin, so I got over that. Well, I was going to say, 25 years on, when you think about you know, young John Raby and that circumstance that mm-hmm. he was in, uh, is it a situation, maybe it's not a situation of, of where you need to forgive him, uh, but is it a situation of where you can look at that guy back then and say, hey, man, you know, relax, homie. Uh, your par- the thing that your parents put on their gravestone... Yeah. Tell me that they simply would not have had any sort of issue. Uh, I could hear your mother saying, what, you're going to put more on the credit card? Are you insane? I know you were asking about me, and I don't, uh, uh, maybe a a week from now I will know the answer to your question. (laughs) I could check check back in with you. (laughs) So when Bridget passed, her mother was here, uh, her mother and and, and my mother-in-law and her, uh, were there at the hospital, St. Joseph's Hospital in, what is that, Burbank? I guess it's Burbank. Hmm. And there were all these things that needed to be done, mortuaries and just, you know, all the stuff that has to happen. And I, I didn't do any of it. Her mother did it all. She would ask me, do you want me to? And I'm like, yes. Uh, and then eventually she just stopped asking and just, just did it all. So, so, so Bridget was cremated. Uh, and there was a time you had to go to the crematorium and all of this stuff. And I was just, I had this, I, and I just, and she's like, you don't have to go, my mother. And I was like, God bless you. Thank you. You know, I just can't even think about that. I just can't, yeah. you know. Sometime later, I, I, I felt guilty about all of that. I should have, you know, it was my responsibility. I'm the husband, and I, and I put that burden on her mother, 
But on the other hand, I, I know that the, Bridget would have been like, uh, you're way too emotional <laughs> to do these kind of things. So just let my mom do it. Uh, my mother will take care of it. Bridget was just insanely practical, and she knew me. She knew I was just a big old girl uh, all the time. She used to tell me all the time, you're just, you're, just, you're, just like a, you're just like a girl. It's just insane. It's like I married a chick. I'm like, hey, <laughs> it's true. I can't help it. I'm, I'm the girliest, girliest, girliest. Yeah, it, it, but, you know, it's also, I think, I think, because, you know, I think it was a thing that she liked about me as much as she made fun of me. I asked my mother-in-law, I don't know, a couple of few years ago. I'm like, you did all of that, and I didn't. And she's like, oh, honey, Bridget told me <laughs> a month before she died, you know he's not going to be able to do shit, right? <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, and so she, they had already taken care of all of that. I, I just didn't have it in me. Yeah. But they, they figured it out for me. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I'm glad you're, you've let that go. Your head would have exploded. Yeah, that's one of the things. You, you said your parents were married for 40-odd years? Yeah. Bridget and I were married for 33 and a half years. Dang. Because we got married so young. Right. It's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a thing. I made a little movie. It's ostensibly about something else, but I know and uh, that it's 100% about her. Uh, and she's actually in it. I actually figured out a way to actually get her into this movie that I made. And so it's like this thing that doubles over and folds. It's very, Char- it's very, it's very uh, Charlie Kaufman. Pretty much all of my life. Uh, with my wife is in is in this little movie, and you know, it, it, in, in, in in a certain sort of way, it's my time traveling again. I figured out a way to do this thing and to bring her along with me because I just don't want to do it if she can't come with me. If she's not there, if she's not a part of it. It just matters less. So I always figure out a way to bring her along. Hmm. You can't really hear it on the recording, but this is the point at which I started to cry. <laughs> I'll stop. <laughs> That's better. Son of a bitch. Uh, no, no, actually, when my parents died, I didn't used to cry. When my parents died, the floodgates opened. Really? And I love it. She used to tell me, oh, for God's sakes, man. <laughs> she, my wife, because I just, I cry. Harry met <laughs> Sally. We went, oh, we, there's no, I just, I just, I've always been that way. I started crying at, like, National Guard commercials. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> It's great. <laughs> uh, but, you know, yeah, but I, you know, I, I, I like, I, I suppose that I like all of that emotion uh, in Somewhere in Time because it's, it's, I live with all of that kind of emotion at my fingertips always. Tim, I think this is fine. We've, I, uh, I was going to ask you a bunch more stuff, but uh, you were wonderful, so I think this is good, right? It was a great talk for me. This is very cathartic. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But you, you pushed me to, to, like, consider myself. To like consider my motives and my thoughts and like that. And like I said, I'll get back to you in a, in a <laughs> week when I know what the answer is. <laughs> Bye, John. Tim Cogshell is a film critic and commentator for Synagogues.com, Film Week on KPCC, the station I work at, and KNBC TV, NPR, and the BBC. Hit it, Ava. The noon siren on September 22nd. This is something that always surprises the tourists, the fudgies, on Mackinac Island. Every day. Callback Yesterday, which is online at callbackyesterday.com, is written, recorded, and produced by John Raby. That's me, with additional sound recording by Ava, the Lilac Queen, Sahoyan. Our theme music is performed by The Van Dyke Parks, support from Bermuda's Projects in Los Angeles. Special thanks to Chris Greenspan, host of SGV Weekly, 
your new second favorite podcast, graphic designer and punk legend Michael Ulencott and George Takei. He'll be back, and I hope you will be too, for the next episode of Call Back Yesterday. Thanks for listening.